Okay, we are in uh, the book of Romans today. We're, uh, we've been working through a series uh, through September and the back end of August, talking about some things that are really important to us as a church, some values, some vision of who we are, what we feel God's called us to in this city, and that's helping to prepare us for in the future as we uh, uh, help launch a, a, a sort of a, a membership process for the church, and also uh, as we appoint some, some elders to, to lead the church uh, in, the, in the coming months ahead. And the subject we're going to talk about today is, well, the church. Theologically, what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? Um, uh, the message is titled Liberty in the Church Family. I just want to recommend a book quickly before we get into that. This is called, uh, it's quite snazzy, I'll flick that up there. It's called Living into Community by Christine Pohl, which is just a really helpful, practical, nuts and bolts um, guide of, of what it means to, to really build genuine relationships with one another, what it really means to be in family, at least in church family together. And she gives some helpful practices, some guidelines about uh, some really uh, uh, earthy things in terms of telling the truth to one another, of, of uh, forgiving one another, of gratitude and thankfulness towards one another. And it's a really helpful book that will serve you all really well. Let me read the verses today, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into the word together. This is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Jesus, we pray that you'd help these words to come alive to us today, that you'd speak to us that your word would do its work in our heart today, that you'd help us to know more of you and encounter you today through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading an article recently about a group of uh, YouTube influencers who, uh, who regularly make videos about minimalism, about what it is for them to live minimalistic lives. So you'll have these videos on YouTube of a of a YouTuber sort of sitting in a in a chair in in their basically empty apartment with you know one chair and and an apple and a can of seven up or whatever and that's they've removed everything else from their life and they talk about the value of living a a minimal lifestyle of removing unnecessary clutter of possessions you no longer need of not just accumulating more and more stuff yes there can be some helpful wisdom in some of that. But one of the things some of them have begun to talk about is building a, uh, a, a, of pursuing a lifestyle of relational minimalism, of removing emotional clutter from your life, uh, of friendships that are unnecessary, of relationships that no longer serve or help to meet our needs. They've, they're beginning to talk about just cutting those out. How do I minimalize my friendship circle? How do I get it smaller and smaller and smaller to the, the one or two people who are going to really serve and build me. And that kind of thinking is, although I guess you could perhaps argue there might be some wisdom in it, it really seems to be part of the, the fruit of what you, I guess you could call the sort of curse of individualism that's all around us in society. Now, there are some positive benefits of individualism. This movement that's happened over the last few hundred years in the world that more and more there's we understand concepts like human rights. That's obviously important to protect individuals. That's a biblical principle. 
But this idea that you need to shrink your life down more and more, that you need to take control of your life, that everything in the end revolves ultimately around you and making you happy, can be very destructive. And when you couple that with a world where more and more we live our lives online, we're, in we're increasingly feeling digitally frazzled, just burnt out by constantly living on the internet, where we've become more and more just relationally stunted. We, 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 when we do so much communication through WhatsApp or whatever means, people have more and more are losing the ability to actually build offline real life relationships. And this Corona season is, has made that worse rather than better. And what all those things lead to, or they can lead to in our world, is a, a pandemic of loneliness that we see more and more around us in society. Just a few years ago, 48% of people in our city reported that they felt lonely. That's 300,000 adults in our city said they felt lonely. Um, also, there was a, a survey taken in 2008, so 13 years ago, where 9% of our city, 9% of the adults, said they felt seriously lonely. You know, as in it was a loneliness they felt all the time in their lives. In 2016, that had risen to 13% of people, that's some 80,000 people in our city. Um, and just last year, it's risen again to 15% all the time. It's getting higher and higher. The number of people in our city who feel seriously lonely. There's some statistics in the local newspaper recently that 23% of people in the last year have felt depressed. That 27% of people have felt anxious. That particularly amongst 18 to 34 year olds, it's reported about a third of people in our city are, are feeling those kind of emotions in their, their lives. People are feeling lonely, people are feeling isolated, people are feeling exhausted and suffering all sorts of challenges in their, in their life. And the wonderful truth of the Bible is, says in Psalm 68 that God has set the lonely in families. Wonderfully good news. I'm sure all of us who are watching this who are believers in Jesus would, would celebrate that, that God wants to put us in families. He's put us in the family of God. What wonderful, great news. And surely the church should be part of the solution in our city for some of these problems. That's the great hope we have. But even for us as believers, even for people like you and me who are invested in the church, we often find that we want community on on our terms, we want community how we could see it. Let me read a little bit from this book I mentioned to you earlier. She says this, that despite the fact that many of us claim to be dissatisfied with individualism, we still cherish our capacity to make individual choices and to seek opportunities for personal growth. While we might want community, it's often community on our terms with easy entrances and exits, lots of choice and support, and minimal responsibilities. And that's often the sort of relationship that people want to have with the church, with the people of God. They want to be involved, but on their terms. They want to be able to, if things get too hard, they want to be able to make an exit as quickly as they can. That they want to come along and attend, but they don't want any responsibilities. They don't want to get sucked too deeply into the mechanism of it. And yet, we believe 
Here at Liberty Church, we passionately believe that if you're a believer in Jesus, that you've been made for something bigger than yourself. That God's rescued you into a family, a family with a purpose, with a mission, with a calling in mind. That God himself is, we believe in one God who's a community of three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who love each other eternally. And when God made humanity in his image, he made us to desire that same relational love. He's built us to relate, built us to relate to him. He's built us to relate to one another. It's in our very DNA. And for the church, that means it's more than, more than shared purpose, more than shared mission. It's more than a shared community or identity. It's even more than a shared theological conviction about what we might believe. The Bible says we're the people of God. We're the people of God. And that's always been his plan right from the beginning, that God created the Garden of Eden as sort of like a garden temple for him to dwell with his people, with Adam and Eve and their family. And then God created the, the temple uh, set the Ark of the Covenant within it in the midst of the Israelites so that God could dwell with his people. And now that's all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's come to dwell amongst us. It says this in, in 2 Corinthians. It says, For we, we're the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people Paul, in this letter, he's quoting from Leviticus, from Ezekiel 37, from many other passages in the Bible that talk about this, that God's heart has always been to make his home, his dwelling place, the place where God's presence is, is with his people in Jesus through the church. The church together is supposed to be the temple of the living God, the primary place of God's, of God's presence in this world. Uh, Terry Virgo, who's a, a preacher, said this, that the church, the church is the people of God. It's not just some pathetic little thing left over from a previous generation. It is his ultimate goal, his glorious bride, the crowning glory of the whole creation. And that means as a church, we are, we're the place where God dwells his presence, but we're a we're a united community. You see, Jesus believed this even about himself. This isn't just a creation of the Apostle Paul or the other writers of the Bible. This is what Jesus believed about himself. He says in John chapter 2, he says to the people, some of the people who are throwing accusations at him, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And he wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem, although he would have been uh, that, that's what the reference point they would have had in their heads. He's talking about himself, his body. Destroy this temple himself and in three days he'll raise up again, which is exactly what he does. And then Jesus then taught that, that he was the head of the church, that the church is the body of Christ. And he meant that not in a ceremonial way. You know, this week in The Hague, the, the king uh, uh, read out the, uh, the, the government's agenda for the, for the, for the coming months ahead. Uh, very much he did that. It's a ceremonial activity. The king hasn't decided what the government's going to do. The government have made those decisions, those plans. He's just announcing it for them. He's just, just his role as king of our nation is mainly a ceremonial role. 
But yet for our king, for our Jesus, it's not about some kind of ceremony. He really is leading his church. He really is the head of the body. We are the very much the body of Christ, his people. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus said to Peter that he was going to build his church, that Jesus is building his church even today. In John 15, he talks about how he's nourishing, he's feeding his body, the church. He says in Matthew 18 that he's going to remain with them by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is building his church, he's nourishing his church, he's with his church today. A few years ago, I was asked to go and speak at an event in our in our city and the question they gave me which I think they give to all their different speakers who come in is they they ask me tell us about what is God doing in the world today what is God doing in the world today and for me and for the Bible there's really only one there's only one answer to that question what is God doing in the world today he's building his church he's nourishing he's feeding his church he's with the church his people of God. This is the primary place of God's presence and activity is through his bride, the bride of Christ, his body, the people of God. And it's through our salvation that we're now united with him. The English preacher John Stock put it like this, the very purpose of Jesus' self-giving on the cross was not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate their loneliness, but to create a new community whose members would belong to him, would love one another and eagerly serve the world. The church is supposed to be a renewed, reunited humanity, displaying to the world around us the glory of God, living a new alternative life together, worshipping him. See, when we understand, or when for us to really truly understand this metaphor that Paul is using in Romans and elsewhere in Corinthians about the church being a body with many members, the best way to understand it is to realize that it's, it's supposed to be more than a metaphor. That in, in a, there's a spiritual reality to this that will probably always remain a mystery to us here on earth, something that we'll struggle to get our heads around, but there's a spiritual reality to us being the body of Christ. That the church isn't some add-on, it's not that you just get saved and then you attend this club every now and again and it's a nice addition that sometimes helps you with your Christian faith. Being part of a community of believers, the church, the people of God, is very much at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. So the heart of what it is to know the gospel of Jesus Christ working out in your life. And if all this is true, if everything I said it's true, and I really believe this is what the Bible teaches, that we're called to be this new community, this alternative community, this renewed humanity. Then it has big, big implications for you, for me, for us as the church. We're called to be the people of God. The language the New Testament uses again and again is about family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ with mums and dads, we're just, we're just a big family, we're the household of God. And we're to love each other as, as we would love the dearest and most loved ones around us. And I want to finish with talking about three a bit more practical applications of what that can look like for us as a church here in Amsterdam. This should affect some different things. First of all, it should affect our life together. I want to encourage you to really commit to being part of this and if not 
Go find another church you, you can commit to. But find a, a church, a home, a community where you can really build your life and build around one another. Again, the Bible uses this language of body again and again. And when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, it's quite profound. Let me, let me read a, a few verses of it to you in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body would be an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's a bit of a bizarre picture the Apostle Paul's trying to paint for us here, but what he's encouraging us and telling us is that we the body, we need each other. <laughs> we need each other. We need you and you need us to really grow and to flourish in your faith. This idea that we started off with of this relational minimalism, if you really follow it through, that's like, it's like doing a hunger strike on your soul to begin to strip away relationships and community and family. I mean, the more biblical language would be a bit harsher. It would be, it's like cutting off a limb, it's like chopping off your leg, removing your ear to suddenly start just pulling away from the body of Christ. Every now and again, I'll have conversations with people who will say something like, oh, I'm feeling a bit disconnected from the life of the church. But often it's because they've begun to disconnect themselves already. But they've begun to pull back from community. They've begun to avoid certain people, avoid relationships. And in their heart, they begin to suddenly feel a bit unrooted, a bit lost. You know, we need each other. We need each other. But obviously the reality is, and you'll know this if you've been part of our church family, that we're not perfect. We're really not. It's true of all churches. If you go along to a church and they claim to be perfect, they claim to, to have the best theology and they're the most humble, then they're probably not the most humble. It's a, every church has its imperfections, things it gets wrong, things it doesn't communicate very well, mistakes that people make, mistakes that leaders make. It, it, it does happen, sadly, again and again. That's why so often in... In the New Testament, when the, when the writers are talking to these early churches, they encourage them to be patient with one another. <laughs> That's what we need in relationships, patience, to bear with one another, to, to suffer sometimes one another, to have a long suffering of one another. That's kind of the language that the Bible uses again and again. And often it's through those imperfections that God will shape you. God will often use the kind of the rubbing up against another person, the kind of the awkward confrontations, the painful speaking the truth in love, the disagreements. He'll, he'll often use that to help you mature, to help you to grow, to help us as a community to begin to flourish and get stronger, get deeper, to get to know one another in a deeper sense, to get to know where each other's brokenness, each other's trials and struggles and pains can be a messy experience sometimes, but God is through it. A couple of practical steps this passage gives us. First of all, if you really want to step into this kind of community, then forget about your pride. Put that one to one side. Pride will kill community life. Paul says it here in verse 3. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. <laughs> Very clearly. That's so often our problem in community life is that we think we're a pretty big deal. 
compared to everybody else. We, you know, we bring our pride into the situation and that's so obstructive to relationships, to friendships. I'd encourage you to put that at the door. None of us is any bigger or better than anybody else in this church family. We all need each other. Also, Paul encourages us here to, to play to our strengths. As we were talking about last week, there's these gifts, these spiritual gifts that God's given to the church. And Paul encourages us to, to use them. He says, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, there's, we are encouraged to use the gifts. If God's given you gifts to bring, then put them to use because they'll be a blessing to us. They'll do us good. Also, I'd encourage you to, to think about how you could build offline with people. We could do so much encouragement and so many good things through WhatsApp or whatever else, but make time to, to get to know people uh, away from your phone or away from your, your laptop. And a community group is a great way to do that. Get in a room full of people, a room of people who are different from you, who've got different life experiences, who grew up even perhaps in a different part of the world, who you might have a, a lawyer on one side of the table, a student on the other, uh, a hospital worker on the other. You know, you, you mix with all sorts of different people, different stages of life, mums and dads, uh, uh, single people, grandparents. You put us all in this big pot together and it will do you good. Find some relationships to build with. Think about how you could practice hospitality. Maybe you need to buy a bigger table, buy some more plates to accommodate all the guests that you can have into your home. The second thing this family life, this vision of community affects, it affects the leadership in our church. We believe ultimately that Jesus leads the church, that he's the head of the body, that Jesus is Christ the King, that he's our chief shepherd. We believe in the, the priesthood of all believers, that we don't need a, a kind of a priest to mediate between us and God. That all of us can have our own personal relationship with God. We can read our Bibles. We can pray in our own time, in our own space. We don't need a, a priest to mediate to us. That's what Jesus is for. And any human leaders in the church, first of all, all of us have got to understand, we're, first of all, before anything else, we're all sheep. <laughs> He's the chief shepherd. All of us, we're all part of the flock all part of his flock. He's our great shepherd that we, we come to. Any shepherding we do is we're just under shepherds of the great shepherd caring after his sheep. And all of us are charged to lead as Jesus does. And Jesus, if you read how he leads, the, perhaps the best way to describe his leadership style was as gentle and lowly. He just was so gentle with people. And he sometimes say, straight, direct things, but always from a place of loving people, of wanting to serve people. And when he commissions Peter at the end of the book of John and tells Peter to go off and lead the church and Peter becomes a great leader in, in, in the first church in Jerusalem, Jesus' encouragement to him, he says, feed my sheep. He doesn't go and say, just go, go and start lots of, lots of new churches. He doesn't, doesn't say, you know, get yourself on YouTube and become famous. And say, get yourself a great website, start lots of community groups or whatever else. He says to him, feed my sheeps. Feed my sheeps. That's such a, it's just a simple, profound way to think about what leadership in the church really is. It's helping to point others to Jesus. It's feeding, feeding nourishing them, helping them to, to understand the word of God and what it can mean for their life. And we here at Liberty, we believe that the Bible teaches about a role that he calls eldership, and that's something for, that God has set apart for men to do in the church. 
And elders are supposed to be accountable to God. It talks about that in Hebrews, accountable to God for the, the people. But it's not about setting some kind of hierarchical structure and putting some CEOs in place. This is really a role of, of service, of sacrifice, of humility. And we believe it's something that's set aside for men, not because we're trying to be sexist, we're really not, but because we believe families need fathers. I know that might, even that might be a contentious thing to say for some people, but I just believe that's true. Families need fathers and elders are called to, to father, to care, to guide, to, to guard people, to try and protect the flock, as Jesus calls it. It's a role, first of all, to be of, of, of sacrifice, of putting the body before oneself, of seeking to serve and love the people of God. Finally, what we believe about the church it's going to affect our mission. Sometimes when people will hear this sort of series we've been talking about and think, great, I'm all in. When do we get started? When, when do we start all the mission activities? But actually the primary way we'll express the mission of God and go about his plans and purposes will be actually how we do this, how we do family life together, how we love one another. In John 13, Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christine Pohl in that book I mentioned earlier, she said the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. The more vibrant, the more caring, the more loving our, our community life is, outsiders will, will look at it and think, I just want to, there's something about you guys that's different. It will, it will be a witness to the, the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. And at the very heart of our community is, I guess the principle before anything else of sacrificial love, that we wanna love people as Jesus first loved us. He gave his life for us. That's what leaders are called to do, elders are called to do. It's what all of us are called to do, to love one another as Jesus has loved us, of how he's rescued us, how he set us in a family, it's such wonderful good news and we want to live out those realities to the world around us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we know that uh, being your people, being your church is, is not always easy. Relationships are complicated and messy. We hurt people, we let people down. We don't live up to this great biblical vision so often. But we want to ask for your help, your guidance. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to be to grow into uh, a temple where you dwell, a place of love and nurture and care and support for one another, a place where we can all experience and meet you, a place where we can all grow and help one another. And we pray more than anything else that you'd help us to see more of you, to know more of your grace and goodness in our lives, your grace that strengthens us and does us so much good. Thank you, Jesus, for your astonishing love for us. Amen.